Good morning. Happy Preparation Day. This morning, we're going to talk about praying through the sanctuary. Are there any romantics here? Did you know that the sanctuary is a romantic love letter to us? I want you to think about this. I wish I could say I was this thoughtful, but I'm not. But I have seen couples where they leave little love notes everywhere in the house, on the refrigerator, on the mirror, in the bathroom. And you know, the sanctuary is something similar to that. Every article in the sanctuary is God's love note to us, saying what Christ is doing for us and how much Christ loves us. And as I go through... Some of this will be a refresher because I'm just going to give a little bit of how it represents Christ. And then I'm going to jump over and talk about it in the context of praying through the sanctuary. So, and Jay said, it ends at (laughs) 8. And I will try to make sure that it ends at 8. First, Exodus 25.8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I dwell is the right word, but I like to have Brian's revised version. And I want to read it in Brian's revised version. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may be married to them. You know, throughout the scriptures, you see uh, symbols of marriage between Christ and us. And as I stated from the very beginning, is in our prayer life, as we ask and request for things, but the ultimate purpose of prayer is for that intimate relationship with the Lord. And we find that in the sanctuary. Psalm seventy-seven, thirteen says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Everything God does, his whole plan of salvation is wrapped up. In the sanctuary. And it's interesting as you look at this picture, you'll see Christ standing amongst the seven candlesticks. And where do you see that? Revelation. So throughout the scriptures, you will see the use of the sanctuary because it is important for Christ to continue to remind us that his way and his love letter to you will be found in the sanctuary. Again, I I came across this picture Did you know that the furniture of the sanctuary is set up in the form of a cross? And that, again, as we look through the sanctuary, we we see Christ telling us that it's all about my sacrifice for you. It's all about my plan of salvation and redemption for you. And this is how much I love you, that he stretched out his hands to die for you. The sanctuary prayer. I want to take you first back. Let me take you back to this one because it's a better picture. Can you imagine what happens when a person sins? That they have to find their lamb. And say they were out in the North 40, a quarter mile back. They would have to place that lamb upon their, their shoulders and walk before all the community. Now, do you think the community knew what that meant? They were confessing before the world, I have sinned, and now 
I am going to the Lord. And it's interesting because I was thinking, because the typical way they would carry the lambs was upon their shoulders. And I, I remember the scripture says, take my yoke upon you for it's easy. Well, the yoke goes over the neck and onto the shoulders of the, the bull. And when we carry the lamb, it will always be easy. As, as we remember the sacrifice. And as they walk down <clears throat> from their tent in the back and the people are seen, oh, Joe must have sinned today. They continue to keep their eyes focused on the linen fence. And the linen fence, as you look through, it was the righteousness of Christ. I'm not going to take you through all these verses, but I will read them off to you. Exodus 27:18, Isaiah 1:8, Matthew 17:2, Mark 9:3, Revelation 3:5. Revelation 7, 9 through 14. Revelation 19, 8 and 14. Each and every one of these verses talks about the, the linen of righteousness, the white robe that's given to man. And as you carried your lamb before the crowd, you kept your eyes focused on the righteousness of Christ. And that's where it should always be. When we sin, we should be focused on Christ. And, and realize that there is a sacrifice made for us. Do you have that all written down? Okay. I will talk a little bit slower. Jay's uh, back there shaking his head. No, don't talk slower. As they came down to the linen wall, they would follow it until they came to the gate. And as the gate, you will see that there were multiple colors. There was blue and red and scarlet. And I don't think you can see the scarlet. We'll say the red is the scarlet. But the blue represented the, what? The, the law of God and our obedience to it. It was interesting that they put a hymn around their Garments. Every individual would sew a, a hem of blue around the bottom of their garment. Why? Because they always wanted to walk within the law. And it was a constant reminder. Then you had the scarlet or the red, which represented the blood of Christ. And all of this was, again, a reminder for them as they entered into their gate that soon their sins will be forgiven because of the Lamb. And that's where we then come to this passage here, where we see that Christ is also the gate. He's not only the lamb, and as you'll see later, he's pretty much everything in the sanctuary, as he should be everything in your life. But we read in John ten nine, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be what? And the congregation said, This is the first step of our, our journey in prayer. In Psalms 104, it says, Enter into the gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And so we, we see 
our first stop in our prayer. As we begin our, our, our prayers, we say, Lord, thank you. We, we thank you for what you've done. We praise you for who you are. And it, it sets our heart in the, t- the, the tune for rejoicing in our prayer life. That even though we have sin that we need to confess before him, that we can still come with joy because we know that we have a Savior who saves. So, sanctuary prayer begins with prayer and thanksgiving. Then we come to the altar of burnt sacrifice. And at the altar of burnt sacrifice, you'll see it in Exodus 27, 1 through 8, as it describes it. It was covered with brass. And what, does anybody remember what the wood underneath it was made out of? Say it again. Acacia wood. That's correct. And the interesting thing is you look at the symbolism, the, uh, the wood that was used always represented the humanity covered with the brass or bronze that was the, the divinity. Christ is not only the, the sacrifice, but he was also the altar. Because what do we need to do as we come to the altar but to lay our lives upon it? We need to be able to come to a place where we confess our sins. We see here, as Jesus is our sacrifice, John 1.36 says that he is the Lamb of God. Hebrews 9.26 says that he had a sacrifice of himself. Ephesians 5.2 says Christ, an offering and a sacrifice. And Romans 12.1 says that as we now become one with Christ, we should alter our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And I want you to see that as we go through this, the things that represent Christ is also a call for us, a call for us and what, if you like to use that word obligation, is what our obligation is for God and toward God. Matthew twenty six twenty eight states, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which was shed for many for the remissions of sin, because we realize that where there is no shedding of blood, there is what? No remission of sin. Now, I don't know if you can see this, but this is, was a wonderful picture I came across. I wish I could say I put this together, but I did not. But you find that in the cross, in... I'm not sure how often we talk about the cross, but there are so many things that took place at the cross for us. It says that um, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, Christ is no longer, but as I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Romans 6, 6, I died with Christ. Romans 6, 4 through 5, I am buried with him by baptism into death. And you just continue to go on and you see, I like Romans six fourteen and 18, that sin has no more dominion over you. Sorry. But it's a wonderful thing that there was so much done for us at the cross. And yet... We don't seem to value the sacrifice 
as we should. And understand that amazing grace that God gave us through his sacrifice. If, if anyone's interested in this PowerPoint, let me know by giving me your email and I will email it to you. The whole thing. Or I will put it in a PDF format because I think the PowerPoint may be too long or too big, the email. So at the, at the altar of burnt sacrifice where the confession of our sins takes place is the place in our prayer life that we have confession. And again, I want to make sure that you understand this is not the only way to pray. And I, I don't want us to become so focused on a form that we forget what it's all about. Um, the reasons that we give you these, these tips and methods and ideas is to enrich your prayer life. To make it um, more than just the brief, Lord, help me as I go to work. <laughs> and you're out the door and your prayer is a, a two-minute breeze through the door. But the sanctuary and praying through the sanctuary is just an enrichment to your prayer life. So at the altar of sacrifice, you have your confession. Then you come to the laver. The laver is the next item. And you'll find it in Exodus thirty eighteen, As it says, thou shalt also make a laver of brass and shalt put water therein. Now, the interesting thing about this brass or is that it was, I was looking in another translation, it was talking about that they would shine it till it was like a mirror. And, and that the purpose and the symbol of it is that it is at the labor that we see our sins and ask God for the cleansing of them. Before the priest could go into the holy place, they had to be cleansed. And it was at the labor that they cleansed their feet and their hands before going about to do the work of a priest. And it was through the mirrored brass that they would have reflected their sins, that they would be cleansed. And then we see here that the cleansing by Christ at the labor, John 3, 5 says that we need to be born of water and spirit. John seven thirty seven through 39 talks about Christ as the living water. And then Ephesians five twenty six speaks of cleansing of our lives by his word. Jesus Christ not only cleanses us, but he fills us with that living water to where it's bubbling over and flowing out to others. Can you imagine how excited you are because Christ died for you? And you can't keep quiet and you need to tell someone about what Jesus has done. That this morning when you woke up and as you prayed through the sanctuary, you were reminded of the cross. You were reminded of the cleansing blood of Jesus. And now we have redemption and victory. And that sin has no dominion over us anymore. That we do not have to fall into the temptations that is placed before us. Because God has gone before us. And he has set us away through the sanctuary to have victory in him. So sanctuary prayer. And this is the interesting thing, because in the courtyard you have the altar of burnt sacrifice and the laver. And in that courtyard 
is the process of cleansing and confession. And so sometimes in our prayer life, we can just blend them together. Father, forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. As we see in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from only part of all. And did you see anything here about our work or about our character? It is about the faithfulness and righteousness of Jesus. And that's what we have to depend on. That is our rock of salvation, is that we can depend upon his faithfulness. Even when we are not faithful, he is. Even when we are disobedient, he still loves us. And I tell you, that makes me excited for Jesus. <clears throat> so in our sanctuary prayer, we have confession at the altar. We have cleansing at the laver. And then we enter into the holy place. Now in the holy place, tell me what we have there. Candlestick, Candlestick and showbread. <clears throat> so we're going to look at, first of all, Numbers 4, 7, it says, Upon this table of showbread they shall spread a cloth of blue, and the continual bread shall there, thereon, thereon, there should be there beyond. Yeah. King James. I love that language. I might not always be able to read it, but I love it. <clears throat> I want to tell you another translation for showbread is bread of presence. I think about that bread of presence as we, and we're going to see some other symbolism come out in the bread of presence. And this you may not I can't barely see it on there, but we have some interesting things that we find about the bread, the bread of life, God's provision through our journey. There were 12 loaves, one for each tribe, the bread was replaced regular and needed the word each day. The bread didn't sit there for weeks on end. It didn't sit there for seven days, but it had to be replaced daily. We need to go to the word of God daily. And we need to be fed because it is our sustenance. You know, the, uh, and it goes on, it says, bread is a symbol of Christ's body. And we will see a few more verses that talk about Christ being the bread of life. And let's take a look. John six thirty-two through 35 says, Jesus therefore said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, it was not Moses that gave you the bread out of heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which cometh down out of heaven and giveth life unto the world. Giveth life to who? Just to the saints? The world. Does that mean sinners too? Means sinners, means everyone. That God gives life to everyone. They said, therefore unto him, Lord... Evermore, give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall not hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never what? Thirst. Have you ever felt? You know what that is? Is 
you know, because we talk about hungering for righteousness and hungering for the word. But I want you to think about this when it speaks of that he that cometh to me shall not hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. I want you to use one word. He that believeth on me shall be content. You know, and, and, and this is a problem because when we take our eyes off of Christ, we become uncontent with what we have or who we are or where we're going. And so we need to constantly be taking of the bread of life so that we can be content that we are walking with him. We also see in John six fifty one Christ saying, I am the living bread. What did David say about his God? That he served a living God. And now we see the living bread. First Corinthians eleven twenty four through twenty six, which we use at almost every communion, that we read that the bread that we partake of was to be his body which was broken for us. Now, this is the interesting part because we have in our minds that our, our prayers should be in a constant state of closed eyes. But I got to tell you, to enrich your prayer life as you go through the sanctuary, have your tablet open. No, I'm just kidding. Have your Bible open and begin to read the promises in your prayer. Begin to think about how God has blessed you through his word. And you can begin, Lord, you have said right here that you will give me an abundant life and read that. We don't have to have our eyes closed as we pray. It's not irreverent. You look through the body language of prayer and you'll find people prostrate. You will find people kneeling. You will find people standing with their hands outstretched to God. You will find in the scriptures people looking up. There are so many positions for prayer because prayer should be done at all times and in all positions because it is the communication to that intimate relationship. So at the table of showbread or at the bread of presence is a place where you can now open your word and you can claim his promises. You can fortify your soul with what he has given us. And this is part of that daily sustenance. I don't know how many of you ha- have a study that works like this, that you, you open with prayer and then you read and study the word and then you have some more prayer and then you study some more in the word and then you have some more prayer. That, that is, believe it or not, part of sanctuary prayer. You're doing it automatically and unknowingly. Then we come to the candlestick. And this is found in Exodus 25, 31 through 37. Now, it's interesting that this candlestick was made of how many pieces? One. It was beaten of a one piece of gold. Now, there were seven branches of the candlestick, but it was beaten of one piece of gold. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Numbers 8.2, it says, When thou lightest the lamp, the seven lamps shall give light over against the candlestick. And I, I don't know if you can see this, and I'm not going to try the laser on here again because I don't know where it is. Right in the center? Okay, there, thanks. 
there are, and you can't see it well on here, there are buds, knobs, and buds, knobs, and almonds, I think. And do you know how many that are on this? 66. How many books of the Bible do we have? It is from the 66 books of the Bible that we get the light of God. And, and, and we see that at the top, that in each of these were put what? Olive oil. Oil represents what? Holy Spirit. So as we read and study the 66 books of the Bible, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, which allows us then to be a light to who? The world. Isn't God great how he just puts all this together? I love the sanctuary. Christ is the light of the world. And, and we see again that there is the articles of the furniture, an example of Christ, but then it all applies to us also. As we become one with him, the application then comes to us. John eight twelve, John 9, 5. John twelve forty six through forty seven, Psalms one nineteen one o five, James one seventeen, Revelation one twelve and thirteen. Each and every one of these verses give reference to Jesus Christ being the light of the world, that He shines His way into our life, and and I believe also Psalms one nineteen one o five says, "Thy word is what." And a hide unto my path. So we find that even in the word of God, which is, gives us the, the embodiment of who Christ is and who God is and what his desire for us, that we can have that light by becoming familiar, by becoming intimate with the word. Now here's some interesting things about the candlestick again. The difference between the candlestick and the candle stand. Candles are burned self-consumption. Lamps are burned continually and supplied by oil. Once the, the wicks were trimmed and placed in the oil, it would continually burn. And then the work of the priests were to continue to keep the oil in there. And we see the work of Christ is to continually keep the Holy Spirit within you. Filled with oil, sufficiency of the Spirit of God given to the believers, made of beaten gold. If Christ is the candlestick, it was made of the trials and the beatings that Christ had. By his stripes, you are what? Healed. And so we see even in that, I need to ask you, if Christ then becomes in you, can we expect anything less than to suffer like Christ suffered? We think life on this earth, you know, he does give us an abundant life. He does give us joy. But how do we expect that we will suffer any less than our master and teacher has? You may have not suffered in the past, but the time is coming when Christians will be persecuted. Persecuted. 
when we will suffer for his name's sake. It's, look at the, the altar of incense. And as in Revelation, it talks about the martyrs under the altar. And you see, we have to prepare our hearts that we're ready to empty self, that we may suffer as Christ has suffered. And not be disheartened because as Christ made it through, so will we. Uh, we also see about the purifying work on the church, the refiner's fire. We see that each of us then become, as we partake of Christ, as we are one with Christ, we also become a light. But I want you to also see this in the context that this candlestick was one piece. The church needs to be one piece, unified that we may be a shining light to the world. Because if we're not unified, what kind of light do we give to the world? And placed inside the holy place, Christ is hidden from the world and revealed to the believer. The olive oil. Here are some other verses that you can uh, write down as representation for, to show you that the olive oil represents the Holy Spirit. Exodus twenty-seven twenty speaks initially of it being fresh, clean, and pure. And you also find it in Leviticus 24, 2. Matthew 25, 3, 4, and 8 is the parable of what? Do you remember? The ten virgins. And them having the oil. And we can we give the oil to other people? No. Mark 6.11 and Hebrews 1.9, each of those represent and give scriptural evidence to the Holy Spirit being represented as the oil. As Mark 6.13 talks about the anointing of oil and how God wants to anoint each of you, that you may experience the latter rain, that you may experience the full power of God. We can invite them to the store. That is true. We can. And we're... we're and I'm, I'm going to also tell you, uh, the other place you find that store is in the Word of God. The Word of God is the store that supplies all our needs. One book in the world that you would, I would want, if I only had a choice of one book in the world, it would be the Word of God. Because through that, we have eternity. We have everything. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we, we get the wrong concept of giving Bible studies. We share the gospel. People just don't want to hear plain information. As you're, as you're speaking of the word of God, they're looking at you. <laughs> they're, they're, are you really happy to know about the word? Has Christ really changed your life? Has, has the word of God transformed you? Because as you share the gospel, the Holy Spirit will come upon them. But sometimes we get into the mode of, of, I need to teach this because I need to show them what is right. 
not to show them who Christ is, but what is right. And then we begin to get our long list of proof texts so we can win the argument. But we may have won the argument, but lost a soul. So, brothers and sisters, always consider that it is sharing Christ and sharing the word and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring them along. And we are moving on through just a few other things. Candlestick, uh, Lord Jesus Christ says the light of the world. Candlestick represents the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that we can see aspects of the candlestick also within the Holy Spirit. Holy metal, candlestick, and labor, both holy made out of metal, five, five foot three inches and between 100 and 200 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold. But that's, that's not even half as precious as our Savior is to us. When Christ lives in us, we become lights of the world. Each of these passages, Matthew five fourteen and 16, says that we are lights in the world and that we should not hide our light under a bush, that it should be set upon a hill. We also... See in Ephesians 5.8 that we are children of the light and that we should walk in the light. And also in Philippians 2.15 speaks of that we will shine unto others. So in our prayer life, we come to the candlestick and, and it is here that we pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on us. And that we may be transformed and become lights of the world. And I'm going to give you an example at the very end of what this prayer may sound like as, as we pray. And sometimes a lot of us may be praying this way already, but we have not placed these, these um, articles of the furniture to our prayer. Then we come to... The altar of incense, Exodus 31. And thou shalt make an altar of, to burn incense upon. Of shittim wood shalt thou make it. And we see that in this picture that you have the holy place, you have the veil, and the smoke of the incense comes up and over into the most holy place. And the most holy place is what? The, where the presence of God is. Our prayers ascend as sweet incense to the Lord. We also read about the prayers of the saints and those of the martyrs underneath the, the altar of incense in Revelation. So again, we see the, the sanctuary being used in Revelation to describe God's work and his people and their work for him. Our prayers are like the incense. Exodus 38 is the description. Revelation 5.8 speaks of our prayers being as incense. And got 15 minutes? 13. Okay, we're almost there. Romans 8.26 Psalms 141.2. Each of those talk about our prayers being as incense to the Lord. 
And I know because you're good scholars, you're going to go home and I'll study this out because it's not what I say, but it's what the Word of God says. Candlestick, prayer for the outpouring of the... And I don't know how I got that out of line there. So we look at the candlestick, prayers for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the table of showbread or His presence is prayer for strength and daily sustenance. And the altar of incense is the process of us beginning to pray and intercede on behalf of others. Before we can intercede for others, should not our hearts be right with Christ? That's why we go through the courtyard experience, the confession and cleansing. And that's why we need to fortify our hearts with his word at the table and then become lights and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us that we then can make intercession. It is through the intercession of our prayers for others that the Holy Spirit speaks through us. And then, what was the purpose in the first message about prayer? To experience a relationship with God. And the whole purpose of the sanctuary and in our journey is take us into the most holy place, into the presence of God. Exodus twenty six thirty four. And thou shalt put a mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony and in the most holy place. The meaning of the ark. And Noah built what? An ark. And what was the purpose of the ark? To save. Right. To save all the animals and to save Noah's family. And then there was another time that there was a smaller ark made. Exodus 2, 3. There was baby put in a ark of bulrushes. Who was that baby? Moses. And Moses found safety in the ark. You know, this is the wonderful thing. As we enter into the presence of the most holy place, we can come with assurance that we are safe in Christ. That we have this. And you know what? I have to encourage you. Our churches should be places of safety. Places where people can come that are faltered and sinful and yet still find safety in our churches because that's the place where Christ dwells, isn't it? So, and I want you to, here's a, a artist's rendition of the ark and it can change because I've seen the others where the poles were up with rings on the top instead of on the bottom. But I wanted to bring out to you what was in the ark, as some of you know, Exodus twenty-five, twenty-one, and thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. What is the testimony? Law of God. And we have learned as people of the book that the law of God is the written what? Written character of God, written transcript of his character. So you have in the ark, the ark, the place of safety, his character. And on top of his, this character, we continue to find another attribute, which was the mercy seat. When we come into the presence of God, what does God want to put into our heart? His commandments. Doesn't he say, I'm going to 
put in a new covenant, give you a new heart? Didn't he say, I will put my laws within your heart? And as he puts his laws in his heart, he's putting what? The written transcript of his character into our hearts. And as we have this written transcript of his character in our hearts, we will also have his mercy and grace. And so look how then we will deal with people who are different than us or who have even come against us that because we are now in the presence, because we have prayed our way into his presence, we now have the character of Christ and we can deal mercifully with all those who enter. So our prayer would look something like this, the sanctuary prayer. Father in heaven, I give you glory and praise and I thank you for who you are and what you have done. So, Father, I come before your altar and I just confess my sins before your throne. And whatever your sin is, you confess it before him. And, Lord, I ask for that cleansing. Oh, I must have passed it. Well, the confession, there should be the cleansing. I'm sorry, I, I've left that slide out. You come to the labor and you're saying, Lord, now that, I've, now that I have confessed, Lord, I ask you that you will cleanse me. And that as I look into this mirror, that you will reveal to me any hidden or unknown sin. That I may also be washed clean of it through your spirit. And Father, as I come to you, and as I open your word, I begin to claim the promises that you have given me. That it says in your scriptures, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors in him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor any principalities, nor anything present or anything to come shall separate us from the love of God. And I can claim that promise. And as I claim the promises that it says, and I will leave you a comforter, that I may claim that power through the Holy Spirit then to become a light to the world, and that you may fill me with your Holy Spirit at the light at the candlestick and Lord now I come before you and I lift up my prayers and petitions before your throne for so and so and so and so and so and so and you begin your prayers of intercession for your church for your family for your friends and for your enemies and then as we begin as we begin to pray for others what happens is that we now begin to have the heart of Jesus because Christ was always other-centered. God was always other-centered. And as we pray through that sanctuary and we come to that place of coming into his presence, we will become other-centered. And God will fill our lives with his presence and his character. And that is praying through the sanctuary. And a lot of times we may pray our prayers and we are praying without even knowing it. And then there are times that you just get a wonderful feeling of just walking through the sanctuary of God because it reminds us of what he has done. It is, it is his love letter to us of not only the plan of salvation, but our process of walking through with him. Shall we pray? Our gracious and loving Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for your loving kindness. Father, we thank you for the journey that you've given us through your sanctuary. 
for it is your love letter to us. It is the description of how you have made a plan for salvation in this world of sin. Father, I ask that you will bless each one here this evening. I pray that as they go from this place, that your spirit will fill them. That as they visit with others, people will know that they have been with Jesus because of their morning prayer and devotion with you. Lord, we just thank you that you are preparing for us a a mansion in heaven. And it's not the mansion that we're happy about, but it's that we're happy of being able to be in your presence. Lord, guide and direct each one this day. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have a piece of paper with your email on it, I will try to get that 